Welcome to Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. Each month on Fitter and Faster, we tackle one triathlon training topic in depth, giving you everything you need to know. This month, it's open water swimming. For newcomers to the sport and even those who are seasoned athletes, open water swimming can be one of the most daunting aspects of triathlon. Jumping into a body of water, be it the ocean, a lake or a river, can be very intimidating. It is completely unlike diving into a pool where you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. You can see the bottom, you can grab onto a lane rope and you can jump out if and when you need. When you add into the equation the fact that when you swim in open water you can be at the mercy of mother nature and you can also be surrounded by hundreds of other bodies, some of whom might be hitting you, it's no surprise that it brings many athletes out in a cold sweat. And of course, there's also the fact you need to swim in a wetsuit. Well, most of the time you do, depending on where you're racing and the water temperature. And finding a wetsuit that's right for you, well, it's not always as straightforward as you might think, especially when you've got to get used to it and get used to your body position when you're swimming in it. So we'll be chatting with coach Megan Melgard from Tower 26, the triathlon swim training program based out of Los Angeles, about the importance of training in open water, how it differs to pool swimming and training, and some key open water skills that you really need to learn and hone, such as sighting, drafting, and swimming in a pack. Megan chats about the importance of swim safety, as well as scoping out a swim course well ahead of race day. And all of these things can really help reduce the anxiety that is so often accompanied by open water swimming. Megan talks about wetsuit practice too, and that's a topic we really dive into with our gear guru, Chris Foster, who joins us later in the show to talk about the equipment you want to get for open water swimming training and racing. All of that after this short break. Want in-depth gear reviews, training stories on the latest science, exclusive content, discounts, and more? Then check out ActivePass. Our ActivePass membership gives you a magazine subscription, two VeloPress books, and access to all of our sister brands, including Velo News, Podium Runner, Yoga Journal, Women's Running, and plenty more. Go to triathlete.com backslash ActivePass. That's triathlete.com backslash ActivePass to find out more. Okay, here's our chat with Coach Megan Melgard from Tower 26. Hey, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you betcha. Have you been swimming already today? I bet you have. Um, no, just swimming in the shower. Oh, it's a little shower. early here in California. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as too early. Surely, Tower 26. Uh, okay, so Megan, you have been swimming a little while, right? You've been swimming the best part of 40 years, and you've been coaching, I think you said 25 years, right? That's correct, right. yep. As a, a baby, six months old, my parents put me in the water, and I've been swimming ever since. Wow. Lucky to be coaching for the majority of my life. Started yep. when I was 15 years old, so I think that gives you how old I am now. <laughs> we won't reveal any more details don't worry but um no we're really excited to, ch to chat to you today about all things open water swimming i know uh it's definitely a passion of yours and uh, you've been involved with um with coaching with the tower 26 with jerry rodriguez for uh, a year year and a half right and uh i know you've been in the, spent a lot of time in the ocean with all the tower 26 crew so um yeah give us a little bit i mean as triathletes i think one of the things that um we're often prone to do or falling down on is open water swimming, like an, an actual practice of it. Like obviously all races take place in open water, but it's sometimes easy to forget. I think that um, if you, if you train in the pool all the time, when it comes to swimming in open water, 
and, and it's race day, whew, that's quite a big challenge. Um, so do you want to talk us through a few of the, I mean, obviously some of them are very obvious, but some of the differences between swimming in the pool and swimming in open water and what this means for training? Absolutely. So there are obviously a lot of differences in pool swimming and open water swimming. We have the obvious ones where you have wind. Uh, sometimes you can't see the bottom clarity of the water. No sides to hold on to, like the pool sides, no walls. We have chop, currents, a lot of different factors that are in open water that are certainly different than, than pool swimming, marine life. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. really important to gain confidence and you can do that by practicing certain skills and frequency in open water to train yeah and so i know at tower 26 and i I know there's a few programs that incorporate some of the open water the key open water skills which we'll touch on later on but um some of the key open water skills that really do help make you faster in open water you guys incorporate those into pool swimming right absolutely take out speed uh, we do a lot of different progressions to help you get prepared for open water. We do sighting. We do some runs, some deck ups, those types of things that you'll really see when you jump out into open water and you have to be prepared. So we really do specific training to help you prepare for those elements. Right. right. And yeah, so this, maybe this might be make more sense for us to talk about what some of these skills are before we get into like the the mechanics of them and, and why they're important to you. So obviously... Um, when you're in open water, as we've just touched on, you cannot see the, you, you don't have a black line to follow. You don't know where you're going. So you've got to be able to sight. Um, and I think, you know, that's probably one of the, if not the most important open water skill to, to be able to, to execute well, right. Is sighting, knowing, knowing where you're going, knowing what you're doing, no, being able to navigate without swimming extra. So yes, we want to swim in a straight line from point A to point B as well as possible. And then the extra distance is extra distance. Yeah. And sighting frequently and sighting properly, like you said, will help you get there faster, A. And I know we've all seen it at one point in time where the GPS on the Garmin gives you a big zigzag, but you really can create more efficiency when you learn how to sight properly and sight yeah. often. Right. And I mean, it might be hard to do <laughs> purely via podcast on audio here, but can you talk us through what good sighting looks like and how how a swimmer should sight and how you know how you incorporate that in the pool and how you do that, how do you then translate that to open water? Sure thing. Definitely in practice, we in Tower 26 practices, we go through a phase where we have folks sight two or three times per 25, so they really can get used to it. And we use a technique that's called lift, look, and breathe. So when the arm hits the water, you're lifting the goggles up above the surface of the water. You're taking that look, taking that sight. So you're navigating, you're aware of what's going on around you, and then you're taking that breath. Mm-hmm. So arm hits the water, you lift up the head, get the sight for the look, and then take the breath. Right. So you really want to make that a as fluid of a process as possible. Mm-hmm. If the head's staying up too long, there are certain things that'll happen with your stroke. Your hand begins to push down, your arm pushes down, therefore water goes down we want water to go backwards to move forward Mm -hmm. right the legs drop certain things like that where you want to take a nice good sight and then keep moving along with the stroke Mm -hmm. and if you don't get a perfect sight every time it's okay sight again right and sighting every uh i mean i know a lot of people tend to sight very infrequently 
but I think really like the rule of sighting every six strokes or sometimes you might have to do it more than that if you're swimming in really choppy water, like, you know, in tough conditions. But um, learning to build that into your stroke, into your swimming, like sight, swim six strokes, sight, swim six strokes, sight, um, and doing that in the pool. So, yeah, why why would people want to do that in the pool before they get into open water? It's all practice and consistency and being able to train the move. So we're not going to expect someone, say, on a bike to do something that they've never done prior to getting out on the road. Mm -hmm. So it's getting yourself comfortable in open water with that same movement. Right. And how long do you spend working on these skills in the pool before you jump in the ocean? Or how long would you recommend? I would recommend at least six weeks before you're ready to jump out into open water. Right. We usually say with Tower 26 about 10 times of doing something that you get better at it to the point mm-hmm. where you're more comfortable. Mm-hmm. So at least 10 times. But the, the frequency and consistency really is the key to mm-hmm. get familiar with the movement. And sighting yeah. really is different. It's also like you're in, when you're an arrow on a, on a TT bike or a triathlon bike, lifting up the head. You have to train right. those small supporting muscles for sure. the movement as well. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that are happening in open water. So you want to prepare yourself and give yourself all of these tools as well as possible so you do feel good the first time you jump in and then thereafter. It's that back to that confidence and being prepared. Right. Yeah, I know for me, you know, getting in and just sighting is a skill that take, yeah, definitely takes a little bit of practice. It takes a little bit of practice for it to feel fluid in your stroke. And I know like a lot of people struggle with like, yeah, like, like you've already touched on, like your hips dropping too much and it's really kind of like, throwing an anchor down uh, in well, as you're trying to progress forwards. Um, so I think like the more you can make that all at one fluid mo- movement and motion, like sight, sight and sight and breathe, sight and breathe and keep, and, uh, and obviously being do- able to do that in the pool. And then when you go out into the ocean or the lake or whatever, it, you're just kind of rehearsing, you're doing something you've already rehearsed. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's, that's something that, uh, yeah, I, before I swam at tower 26, I completely underappreciated, I think, but um that's yeah and what about drafting then like that's another one that's a biggie right when you come to open water swimming when it comes to training or racing like being able to draft in open water is well i guess it's the one big perk of of uh, swimming right because you can't do it on a bike or in unless you're racing draft legal but you know majority obviously ironman 70.3 racing it's all you've you know there's no drafting on the bike but in the swim here you go. You can you can get a free ride if you do it right. Exactly. You get a free ride. You conserve energy. And so you're fresher to the bike and to the run if you can find the right person to draft from. So someone right. slightly faster than you. And we've done some testing way back when. That's one of the, the first years that I knew Jerry. We had a velocity meter that was testing the three different swimmers in different positions. So directly hmm. behind the other swimmer drafting and to the side in different areas that uh, we saw that efficiency. If you can pick up on someone's hip, mm-hmm. then you can, depending on the way that you breathe, you can see that person. And as long as they're sighting correctly and going in a straight line, right, really can conserve a lot of energy and, and have a quite a pleasant swim if you're able to get into that literal draft. Right, right, right. So maybe let's take it back a step. And um, for people who aren't familiar with drafting or haven't met necessarily practiced it a bunch or done it even before. What, what is drafting and where where should you be? 
So like I alluded to, there are a couple different places that you can draft directly behind someone. Mm -hmm. If they're a heavy kicker, that means that you might have to sight a little bit higher in order to yeah. see where you're going, make sure that they're going in the correct direction. And then to the side. So we typically put the shoulder near the person's hip mm -hmm. and you really just get right into the water. When the swimmer's moving forward, you pick up the draft you're picking up the water that's also moving too. Right. So it's very efficient to sit at someone's hip. That's probably my preference because mm -hmm. otherwise you do have to say higher if you're directly behind someone. Yeah. That tends to be more comfortable with some of the more beginner swimmers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just get lucky. You find somebody and you can just sit on their feet, we call it, and draft off of their feet. Yeah. And then positioning as well. Like I said, if you're breathing to the left, you're breathing to the right, one might be easier to pick someone up. Mm -hmm. And we also practice a lot of different speeds with Tower 26. If you get too comfortable drafting off someone, it might behoove you to go a little bit faster for your overall swim time. Mm -hmm. We also want to be careful trying to go too fast to keep up with someone. There's also positioning that you know, as well with those different speeds that we do in, in training to be able to pick someone up or draft them. Right. If you really want to put the hammer down and somebody's tapping your toes and you get a little bit of an you know, annoyance there, you can hit the yeah. hammer and, and speed so away. So the toe tapping, that's what I was going to ask you next is like, is that, you know, a lot of people are like, should I, should I hit the toes in front of me or should I, like, or should I just stay off them? You know, like, cause a good draft, you know, in my book, a good draft is somebody's, you're, you're swimming on somebody's feet, but you're not, you're not hitting their toes. You're not, cause that's just the most annoying thing. If you're that person who's getting their, their feet it tapped is, yes. and they're just going <laughs> to, ultimately they're probably just going to get pissed with you and just do a big poof, poof, and try and kick you in the face and get rid of you. So would That's you, you need to be careful with? Yeah. People, yeah. people will do that. The more you tap them, just try to be as polite as possible. If you're taking that ride from someone, mm -hmm. they're not to hit their toes. Yeah. And then I think if you're trying to tuck into somebody's tuck onto somebody's hip, that is, I think that is really kind of a sweet spot. Like if you can find it, it's great, but I think it's so much harder to achieve and get there than just sitting on somebody's feet. Cause there's obviously like the, their, their stroke, their arms coming through as they're recovering their, you know, their, their, the recovery phase of their stroke means that they can easily just whack you. If you know, like they're, if they're left, if you're sitting on their left hip, their left arms coming through, finishing the stroke, recovering, it's pretty easy for them to whack you, you know, if maybe not with intent, but you know, or, or maybe with intent, if they don't want you to be there. Um, I know that's something that Jerry, you know, Jerry's done to me in the ocean before. Um, but, um, yeah, so I guess there's like a real, there is a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, it's a toss up, right? You can, one, one's easier to achieve, to achieve, one gives you a, you know, one the sitting on the hip, sitting on the hip is, I think, harder to achieve, but gives you a greater year, you know, like the benefit is greater, but sitting on somebody's feet is easier to achieve, but you can get kicked out of the way, you can get dropped quite easily, uh, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of, uh, yeah, you've, once you've learned the skill of drafting, there's also quite a lot to factor in, in terms of like when it comes to race day. Absolutely. That maneuvering and it comes back to practicing. So you yeah. can practice this in open water with some of your friends, get people that are similar speeds. You can also practice it in the pool. You can yeah. get a couple folks, three people per lane, make yeah. sure that you're actually next to each other. And that's a helpful tool. Close proximity swimming is uncomfortable for a lot of folks to begin with. So make yeah. sure you practice this so you can get familiar. 
I agree that swimming on someone's hip is more of an advanced skill. Mm -hmm. I also used to play water polo in, in grad school. So I used to, you know, it was, it was fun. It was great fun. <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> it, it is a brutal sport, but it, yes, it sure taught a lot of skills in terms of being able to maneuver around people, being in close proximity, swimming and getting comfort, comfortable with that. So the yeah. more you do it, the more comfortable you get. But you're totally right that sitting on somebody's feet directly behind them, I would recommend beginners start with that. It's the yeah. easiest thing to literally see. Yeah. Used to. And like you say, incorporate it into practice. You know, so, uh, you know, maybe one of the biggest takeaways, if you're listening to this from a point, you know, as a beginner coming into open water swimming, uh, I think I'd say like one of the biggest takeaways from this would be make sure you incorporate actual open water swimming into your swim training. And then when you're in open water, don't just swim around, incorporate some of these key skills, like getting your buddies together and uh, practicing drafting, practicing sighting. And I, I'd say uh, moving on to another key skill, pack swimming, which I guess is kind of like sits with drafting, but getting used to that, um, being surrounded by other bodies which, you know, when we're, when we're in the pool, right, and you're, you're at swim practice, you're at master's practice, whatever, uh, everybody takes their five seconds or their 10 seconds between intervals, uh, sorry, between, between swimmers when you're doing intervals or whatever. And it's all very orderly and it's all very, for the most part, very polite, right? And there's very little, apart from when you whack hands with somebody in the lane, there's very little physical contact between swimmers. But when it comes to triathlon and, and race day and open water swimming, it's a complete game changer. Everything changes, right? Um, so t talk to us a little bit about pack swimming and why, why you'd want to practice that and how, and how you practice that. It's especially important now with the swimming pool situations that we have. Here where I live, we only have one person per lane. Right. So it is important if you're able to safely go grab some friends and get ready for that in open water. But depending on the situation. Yeah, I guess I was thinking more of pre-COVID times, but yeah. Pre-COVID times, yes. Mm -hmm. and, uh, several years back, I coached the Junior Southeast Elite Triathlon um, swim portion. And we would do what I would call NASCAR. So we'd put three people, three kids in the lane, and then we'd do, in a 50-meter pool, do some out and backs. And then we'd mm -hmm. shift them and have a different point person mm -hmm. being at the lead and then move around like on a NASCAR track. So it was pretty fun to do. And the kids learned a lot of skills changing around that point person, getting the experience drafting on different sides and being the, the puller in the front and then also being in the back. Mm -hmm. Really got people more used to being in those different scenarios and being able to quickly identify where you need to go to get into right. that slipstream, to get into the flow. Right. And getting used to being hit from all, all sides and all angles and, you know, getting a, a hand in the face or a foot in the face or whatever. And, uh, I think one of the things I remember, you know, one of the things Jerry always used to kind of coach and practice or, or talk about was, um, it's not always, I think on race day, a lot of people, if they get hit, especially off the start line, they assume, or they might think it's been intentional. Whereas in actual fact, like it's just part of the, you know, like that whole washing machine spin cycle of the, of getting off the start line. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And with those kids, what I would do is I'd follow them and I'd grab their ankle and you know <laughs> see what they would be able to do to spin out. So we'd learn some of those skills too. And we would never hit in anyone intentionally for sure, but it does happen in triathlon. And I would also go ahead of them and just stop. I think we've all been in a race at some point. If you're if you've done 
probably more than two triathlons where somebody's pausing because they might need to catch their breath. Mm-hmm. And you need to be ready for that too. So mm-hmm. sighting is going to help you be aware of your surroundings. If someone needs to take a break, you don't mm-hmm. want to run straight into them. You yeah. feel good for either party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that maybe brings us to, I think that help helpfully brings us to um, the swim start, right? Race day, you're nervous, you're, an, you're, an, you're probably anxious, adrenaline's pumping. Uh, it's something that you've been, especially at this point in time, it's something you've been waiting for for maybe 18 months or more. Race day's finally here. And that swim start, it's like, it, it's the start of your day. It sets up, you know, if it's Ironman, it sets up your whole day. Like it's the start of a long day. So you want to, or even if it's 70.3 or Olympic or whatever, it is the start of your race and it kind of sets the tone, especially mentally, I think, for what's going to come ahead. And um, so, yeah, talk to us a little bit about the swim start and takeout speed and practicing and, and the importance of kind of practicing and getting familiar with that. Sure thing. And literally taking a step back when we're getting ready for race day, I would always recommend studying the course. Mm. So checking where the sun's going to be for the first buoy, you know, mm-hmm. around all the different courses, look at different things on the landscape. If there's a big tree or a big, big building, that's going to help you sight in the direction yeah. if you can't see the buoy for some reason. And the shoreline. So walking the shoreline, walking in slowly. If you're able to do this before the race, I would recommend a couple days, a day before, or a couple days before. Mm-hmm. So that you know if it's sandy, if it's rocky, if there's a steep drop-off, if there's a sandbar, you don't want to do a dolphin dive into that. So making sure you're familiar with what you're getting yourself into yeah. <laughs> from that perspective, yeah. what you're diving yeah. into, right? And then the, also the importance of a good proper warm-up. So your heart rate's going to be high no matter what. You're excited. This is your first race in a long time, potentially. You might be a little anxious about water and the swim itself. So giving yourself a swim mantra has always been something that I've been a big proponent, mm-hmm. something that's going to calm you down. You could either count. There was a gal that I used to swim with and we would talk about rainbows and pink bunnies that would help <laughs> anxiety, you know, yeah. things that you can have in your head, um, you know, to help lower that anxiety, that heart rate's going to be high no matter what. And you want to be careful for the rest of the day mm-hmm. that you're not burning, as we say, too many matches right off. Right. Yeah. right off the start. You know, it's really important to practice takeout speed. So with yeah. Tower 26, we do a lot of 90% takeouts, which is mimicking what you will experience potentially on race day. Right. So if you've never practiced that, you can't ask your body to recruit all of that energy if it's never done it before. And right. then expect more out of it for the rest of the day. So practicing takeout speed, practicing if you're able to, running into the water. You usually can't do that at a pool because you're not allowed to run on the pool deck. Right. Practice that in open water, then you know what you're going to expect. Those you know, three to five seconds that you're running in, take out speed, and then settle in. Right. And have a, have a plan thereafter. Right. And what would that look? So what would that look like? Ideally, uh, if somebody's practicing, so you, you, like obviously practicing swimming, if it's going to be a run in from the start, like, um, practicing that swim entry, knowing knowing how ch- how deep or shallow the water is going to be that you're getting into, and then when you you're talking about takeout speed, how you know which is obviously swimming kind of, and, and what we're referring to here is really like that capacity to get off the start line and get get going at top speed, 
in order to try and separate yourself from as much of the you know the craziness and the pack of you know the, the washing machine around you um how how many strokes would that be or how long would that be you know and how do you incorporate what does that look like in practice so in practice, a good set that you could do for that, and it also depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to get to the buoy first, then you right. will be making sure that you're positioned well in terms of the actual start line. Mm-hmm. If you're in the middle, if you're on the left or the right, if it's a right turn first at the first buoy, mm-hmm. what your plan will be in terms of execution there. If you're a little bit nervous or newer to triathlon, it's right. also okay to, to start easy, start at the back. Yep start at the side, you know, and take your time as you're getting into it. But that heart rate likely will still be high no matter what, no matter yeah. how many triathlons and races that you've done, you yeah. just feel excited, right? Yeah. But a good a good set with, again, Tower 26 has done this in different ways. The sets look different, but a, a good easy one to chat about would be five 200s and you're taking out the first 50 at 90% and then you're settling into your race speed. Right. So whether that's an Olympic or a path or a sprint, yep. what is that percentage effort level for you after that 90% and then settle mm-hmm. into that? So you're yep. training your body to get that takeout speed, mimicking the heart rate, and then settling in to your race pace. Yeah, because so, I think it's so easy. That's a mistake a lot of people make, regardless of whether you're beginner, elite, or anywhere in between, is you know you get to the start line. It's all so exciting. Adrenaline's pumping, the music's playing, the gun goes and you just want to go hard and you just want to swim as fast as you can it's race day but if your body hasn't trained for that then it's going to blow pretty quickly and you know regardless of what your goals are for the race whether it is to make it to the buoy first or whether it is to like calmly execute from the start and enjoy your first triathlon like you're not going to do that if you haven't incorporated some of that if you haven't practiced like you can't you can't suddenly just magic something up that you haven't practiced before as much as we might like to think we can (laughs) it would be great if if that were the case but that's why it's also important to do this in in practice we do hear a lot of folks before they get into a training program that they just go out and swim right but that's not what you're asking your body to do in a race so yeah. that's why it's important to have these different speeds, different progressions, training your body to be ready for what you're asking it to do on race day. Right. Yeah. And not just, and if you, I mean, going back to what we said at the start, like not just, not just swimming in a pool, incorporate, if you can, and when you can, obviously incorporating open water swim practice into your training. And then when you're in open water, incorporating some of these key skills and some of these workouts into open water swimming so that it all becomes it all comes together so that on race day you can stand on the start line and be like oh open water cool i know you you're my friend i'm not scared but unfortunately that i'd say that that isn't the case for a lot of triathletes right they stand on the start line and they're super anxious um and it's especially if you're you know wearing a wetsuit that's tight around the chest or the neck like that doesn't help do anything to help ease anxiety or nerves or anything um how how much of a you know how much of a problem do you think anxiety is and and what are some of the key things you you recommend to nervous swimmers i would say about 80 if not higher percent of people do have some form of anxiety in open water mm-hmm. oftentimes you can't see if you can see sometimes you're thinking about what you might see concerned <laughs> <laughs> with the pacific ocean that does run through my head from time to time yeah for sure but having tools and having proper preparation. 
So making sure that you have a safety plan. So I also do some work with Swim Across America, which is a, an open water swimming organization. And we make sure that there are a lot of beginners in those events. We make sure that they know that they have a, a safety stroke. Uh-huh. So before you're even getting to open water, practice this in the pool. If it's rolling over on your back and taking a breath, if it's learning how to do breaststroke arms, doggy paddle, side stroke, something like that so that you know you have a fallback if you right. roll for a, a safety stroke. Knowing um, the more that you can be comfortable and have those tools to rely on, I think that's going to behoove you much better. And also think about different things. Think about your form. Put a song mm-hmm. in your head. You know, mm-hmm. From uh, Taking a step back there from buoy to buoy, you might want to have a technique element that you think about for mm-hmm. each, each buoy. If you know what the course setup is, you can plan that in advance. Mm-hmm. And then really studying the course beforehand, the more information and the more practice and the more training that you have going into any scenario, that yeah. will give you confidence. Right, for sure. Yeah, being able to so knowing the, if it, if it's you know on race day, knowing exactly where the buoys are, what to site for, as you've already talked about landmarks, what to site for, what to look out for. Um, you know, just all having having more information versus less is obviously going to help ease anxiety. Um, and when it, what about when it comes to when it comes to wetsuits? Obviously, it's a big that's a big part of uh, open water swimming and getting used to swimming getting used to swimming in, in your wetsuit, um, fi- obviously finding the right wetsuit for you. Um, what's, what, what's some of the advice that you, when you have newbies come, new, like novice swimmers who are just starting out in triathlon, never swum in a wetsuit before, what's some of the advice that you give them when it comes to finding the right wetsuit and getting used to swimming in it? That's a great point. Wetsuits are not one size fits all. Right. You do want to make sure that you're, Going to a store that you can try the wetsuit on. Mm-hmm. When you do start a, a race, like we've been talking about before, the heart rate is going to increase. You want to mm-hmm. make sure that in the chest area and the neck area that the wetsuit fits. So making sure that you're fitted properly because different wetsuits do have different neoprene thickness. Mm-hmm. You have short sleeve wetsuits, you have long sleeve wetsuits. So making sure that you're fitted properly, you can even get a wetsuit rental to test it out. Right. Sure yeah. The right one for you before you spend several hundred dollars. Right. Some friends may allow you to, to borrow it, but getting comfortable in the wetsuit, it's it's different when you're swimming with material on your body as yes. opposed to a swimsuit in the pool. And equipment overall, you want to make sure you have the right goggles that fit you, have a backup pair for your race. Right. And, you don't really want to do anything new on race day. So practice in your wetsuit, practice with your goggles. If you want, you can use two caps. You usually get a cap when you're in the race. So making sure that your cap doesn't fall off, that type mm-hmm. of thing. Practicing these things is, is just the, the biggest piece of importance, especially with wetsuits, how that can constrict if you're not wearing the, the right size. Water can get into the wetsuit. So make sure you're you're training and practicing in that to make sure that you're comfortable. And I think also importantly when it comes to wetsuits is uh, practicing getting them off, right? You know, so that's another fun thing to do, to incorporate into, you know, if you can try and incorporate into open water practice, so all these, as many of these skills as possible, but also practicing 
obviously like entries into the water if you're going to be doing a race that starts from the beach or from from land or whatever but i think also another really key thing important thing to do is practicing exits and being able to like maybe race your training buddies out of the water and then have a race to see who can get their wetsuit off quickest or, or or just making sure you can get it off right because some of those zippers and things like they're not they take a little bit of practice especially when you know you, you're coming out of the water you've been horizontal for however long and then suddenly you're vertical your heart rate's jacked up adrenaline again adrenaline's rushing through your body uh you've, you're trying to figure out figure out which way's up and then you're trying to figure out a wetsuit zipper that you maybe haven't like had a lot of <laughs> time to practice if you haven't practiced getting out of your wetsuit I've seen some really unfortunate, you know, T1 experiences where people are just like, oh my God, how do I get out of this thing? So I think, you know, incorporating all these things into practice, like, like as you've said, you know, like familiar, the familiar, familiarity and the frequency is is super key. But um, I know at Tower 26, we used to, Jerry used to um, set us up so we'd have races out of the ocean and then it would be like race up the beach and then see who could, and the race only stopped when you'd got your entire wetsuit off and you stood there in the sand in your swimsuit so like that kind of thing make it fun you know and um and yeah incorporate it into every every workout if you can so then you've got that frequency but um absolutely leading up to the race like you said practice you can also do what we call deck ups in the pool so diving in race pace and then you get out of the pool and you stand straight up so you feel all that blood rush down from your head be careful when you're doing this make sure your lifeguards around but (laughs) straight up that's what's happening when you're swimming in the horizontal position for the race and then you stand straight up typically i used to do some work with saucony running and racing which was a show that covered running races and triathlons many many years ago but we would watch dave scott get out of the water and he would run like a monkey with his back hunched over and then slowly come up to vertical and it's helping not jack your heart rate up so very quickly going from horizontal to absolutely vertical. So raising oh, that heart up more slowly than just going straight horizontal to vertical. Oh, interesting. Okay. I've not seen that before. Um, and I know at Tower 26, well, this is obviously pre-COVID times. I'm not sure what the rules would be now, but we always used to do like an 800 800 yard warm in, in like, um, when it was open water race season, you know, race season or going into open water season, I remember we'd do like an 800 yard warm up with every 100, you get out of the pool, you deck up. So you'd be getting out of the pool at the deep end, which was pretty hard, you know, pretty like getting out of the pool from the deep end sometimes is a lat workout in itself and, um, getting up out of the pool, getting vertical and then running around the bleachers and then diving back in doing another hundred and every hundred you'd be doing that, like decking up, getting out. And like, so that was really, really good at just getting your, you get used to your heart rate being elevated and then having to run from being, from having been horizontal. So, I mean, I'm guessing right now that might not be the easiest thing to incorporate into training as swimming pools just reopen and everything, but that is a really good thing to do, right? In, um, in terms of just, if, if you can, if your local pool allows that, um, in terms of building, building that Absolutely. into practice. The physiology of it, you know, you really want to train your body to be able to do that. And yeah. the more familiar it becomes and mentally as well, when you get out and you start running to T1, there's a lot going on, a lot of factors. So yeah, practicing that, making sure that your body is actually ready for it too. Yeah. 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 Okay. So just in closing, I mean, I, I really, I know that a big part of swimming open in open water is safety. 
and we've we've touched on that obviously um, throughout you know throughout this show. But uh, I think maybe is a really helpful takeaway for, for listeners would be when you are thinking of swimming somewhere new, open water. You know, like you want to inc- you've heard you've you've heard how important it is to swim open water and incorporate that into your swim training. You want to do that. You have found somewhere to swim. What are the key things you should do before? like before literally diving in, you know, before go, <laughs> before running into the water, what are some things that you would consider to be like some key safety aspects before you go open water swimming? Some very key safety aspects would be, we talked about the shoreline, what mm-hmm. the bottom of the surface is and water temperature. So mm-hmm. if you know what the water temperature is, if it's very cold, you may want to acclimate differently than you would in warm water. Right. How long are you going to go? Mm-hmm. What's the weather? What um, what to expect in terms of wind, in terms of chop? What's in the water? Mm-hmm. Making sure that you swim with someone else. I'm big a big proponent of swimming with a buddy. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you'd be in a place that has oversight, like a lifeguard, first responders around. Right. Always tell someone that you're going out to swim. Mm-hmm. You can use the swim safety buoys that will give you visibility if you're swimming somewhere that there's boat traffic. Right. And really knowing what the conditions are that you're going to be getting yourself into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those swim safety buoys are becoming more and more popular, right? You can, um, you attach them to, you attach them around your waist or you attach them to around your ankle and they simply just follow on behind you. And they're a good marker to like, yeah, boats or anybody else on the water really that you're there. Cause it's pretty easy to be missed if you're not wearing a bright, you know, if you're not wearing a bright neon cap, but you're wearing a black dark wetsuit, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, visibility, you know, thinking about making sure people can see you is like, is really important. Absolutely. Yes. And good point on a neon colored cap. Yeah. I've seen people out there that wear dark green and black and depending on the, the actual color of the water, you want to make sure that you're wearing something that's bright and visible. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll also put a whistle on my swim safety buoy as well. If you're in a place where you may need to alert someone. Yeah. So make sure it's, it's small and plastic so that it's waterproof. Yeah. But that's another good handy thing to have. Yeah. That's a good point. Vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Safety first. Safety first. <laughs> cool. 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 Megan, thank you so much for joining us. There's so much information there and uh, I'll be sure to include some of the, uh, some of these things we've already talked about online in articles online. So I'll be sure to include some of these things in our show notes for the, um, when we post this online. Um, But thank you very much for your time and your insights and your expertise and uh, good luck for the season ahead. Thank you so much. You as well. This has been fun. Thank you. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe to Triathlete Fitter and Faster wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you hear. Rate and review us as it helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. Next up, we're joined by Chris Foster, our resident gear guru, who's going to be talking us through all the equipment we need for open water swimming and how to really get the most out of it for training and racing. So we have Chris Foster in the house, our gear guru, our resident gear guru, here to talk all things open water swimming tools. So Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good, EK. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when it comes to open water swimming and uh, and triathlon, obviously, I guess the big the big uh, big question, the big thing is wetsuits, right? That's what everybody wants to know about. That's the most important uh, piece of equipment when it comes to open water swimming. Yeah, absolutely, and that's always the thing that people ask about first. Um, and I think a lot of new 
triathletes, we probably have some new triathletes listening to this. A lot of people think that the wetsuit is just about staying warm. You know, like right. when yeah. you go surfing, you, you get a different thickness wetsuit. And I think that's what a lot of people's experiences, at least on the coast, um, with wetsuits is, oh, you know, I need a thicker one. I need a three, four, I need a two, three, I need a four, five, you know, like what thickness do I need to stay warm? Um, and warmth for sure is a big part of it. Um, yeah. but you know, for most races, uh, with water temperatures under 76 or 78 degrees Fahrenheit, um, they'll allow you to wear a wetsuit. Um, but you know, it'll actually make you faster. Like that's the thing. Like, yes, you're warmer yeah. and that's good and you're, you'll be more comfortable, but a wetsuit, a good, a swimming wetsuit. And this is another thing that a lot of beginners ask, can I wear a surfing wetsuit in the, right. in the swim? I mean, you can, it'll, you know, if you're like, I'm freezing, I might not be able to finish the swim unless I have something on my body. A surf wetsuit will safely get you through the swim. Um, but they're absolutely not, you know, designed for swimming. Um, yep. an open water swimming wetsuit is going to have a zipper in the back. Um, it's going to have, um, you know, a lot more flexibility through the shoulders. It's not going to have that rough patch on the chest, um, that, you know, protects a surf wetsuit from your surfboard. Um, so it's going to be generally lighter weight, more flexible, obviously designed, um, in a very specific way, uh, for swimming. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's a big thing. Like do not don't think that a surf wetsuit is going to help you in the same way that an open water swimming wetsuit will. Um, it'll keep you warm, but it won't make you faster. And the yeah, big, I mean, there's, yeah. Yeah. The Sorry, big thing on. about an open water swimming wetsuit is it'll make you faster. Like to me, that's like yeah. the big, the big thing. Um, yeah. All, and the fancy paneling and the, you know, the, all those, all those kind of gadgets that you, not gadgets, but yeah, all the things that you, um, you get on a swimming, an open water swimming triathlon wetsuit that obviously you were not going to find in a surf wetsuit. And those things are pretty, those things are pretty uh, robust and thick around the shoulders. So yeah. it makes it very hard to swim fast or swim well. Yeah. I mean, like with a swimming wetsuit, you're going to have like added buoyancy, um, yeah. particularly in like trouble spots, like the hips and legs. Um, and this is, this is really big. I know you were talking with Megan earlier about, um, you know, sighting in the open water, you know, yeah. like you both said, when you sight in the open water, what happens? Your head goes up, your hips go down. Like yeah. that's how it goes. I mean, yep. you, you get better at it, you know, obviously, and you try to reduce that. Um, but a good open water swimming wetsuit, you know, will help with that buoyancy in the hips and legs, especially yeah. if you're a poor swimmer. Um, you know, if you're, you know, if you didn't come from a, like a serious swimming background, um, because yeah. we all have a tendency to let our hips and legs drop. Um, especially if you came from a running or cycling background, that's really big. Yeah. And um, if you've got a big muscle mass in your legs or if you've got heavy legs from swimming, from running or riding from yeah. you know, big workouts, then yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's where you're going to find like 80% of the speed that an open water swimming wetsuit will give you is in that yeah. buoyancy. Like that, yeah. that just changes your position. It changes you from that, you know, that like uphill swimming, you know, profile that you see from poor swimmers to something right ideally less uphill or even flat. Yeah. Um, so that, that's a big one. Um, you'll also get, you know, with an open water swimming wetsuit, things like uh, hydrodynamic coatings um, yeah. on the neoprene themselves. Um, you know, that, that accounts for a smaller percentage of the speed that you can, you can you know, quote, buy um, yep. with a wetsuit. It'll kind of help you slide through the water faster. Um, and then you'll see some wetsuits have like, especially higher end wetsuits, they'll have catch panels, um, yes. little like designs or, uh, you know, like 
channels and stuff on the um, on the forearm. That'll, yeah, usually you know, on the underside of the forearm. Yeah, the forearm. Yeah, and, and to help you catch and pull them. Right, like their their intention is to you know get an earlier grab of the water and, and mm-hmm. hold it longer through the the pull phase. You know, I, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. Like, yeah, I, I think it's it might make you feel better, and maybe you're if you're thinking about it more, your catch is better. So maybe it's one of yeah. those you know like um, kind of things. Just because it's in your mind, it, it does help you. Um, but yeah, so those are those are kind of the big upsides of getting yeah. a wetsuit, um, especially over a surf wetsuit or no wet, wetsuit at all, obviously. Right, for sure, yeah. And then obviously there are downsides to wearing one too, aside from, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like just like everything, there's always a trade-off. You know, nothing yeah. comes for free. Um, yeah. So obviously, you know, the expense of a wetsuit, and, and we'll talk about yeah. a little bit later, you know, um, the price range of wetsuits and, you know, what you're getting for each price. Um, but, you know, like things like you know, it takes time to take off a wetsuit and, and they're not the easiest things to take off. Even the best, most expensive ones. Um, you know, and we'll talk about what practicing looks like, but you need to be practicing with that. Um, yeah. Megan like, and I touched on that a little earlier when we were yeah. talking about you know, exits from the ocean or what, you know, racing buddies out of the, out of the ocean, up, up the beach and yeah. seeing you can, you know, the clock only stops when you've actually got your wetsuit off and you're still in the sand. Right. Um, but yeah, that takes practice and some suits are definitely easier to get out of than others. Yeah. And you see, and it's not uncommon, even with the pros to see people getting stuck. In oh, their yeah. yeah. It happens all the time. And yeah. you, know, you get cold hands or, yeah. um, you know, especially if you're in a longer swim, um, you know, some people like to weigh the pros and cons, like how quickly can I get out of my wetsuit versus yeah. how much time is it going to save me in terms of speed versus right. how long is the swim itself? You know, if it's, yeah. you know, if you're doing a super sprint triathlon and it's, you know, three or 400 meters, yeah, that's yeah, a massive chunk of time. So, yeah. you know, so it's not just wetsuits are always faster. They're usually faster. Um, yeah. but you do have to worry about, you know, obviously the, the, the transition, um, yeah. You can also get stuff like, you know, obviously uh, the wetsuit, the neuropene in the in the shoulders is going to provide some resistance. Um, yes. So especially if you're a weaker swimmer, um, you know, maybe you have a weaker upper body build, um, particularly the lower end wetsuits, the cheaper ones, they're yeah. going to restrict your shoulders. Um, mm-hmm. So you might feel fatigued, um, you know, more than you're used to. And you're like, oh, I should be faster. You know, Chris said I'm faster with the wetsuit, but I feel tired. Like, what's that about? Um you know, and, and a lot of that is, you know, you spend more, you get less resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've found like in my experience, cause I tried millions of wetsuits and not millions, many wetsuits, um, <laughs> millions. <laughs> millions of wetsuits, um, is a big part of that shoulder resistance can be fixed by putting on a wetsuit properly. Yes. Oh like, my goodness. Yeah. That's you've huge. got to get that thing right up into your armpits exactly. as you're putting it on. And that's yes. what obviously fit, making sure you get the right size and you're right fit. It's but huge. that can make a huge difference. Yeah. Like if you've got that thing just kind of sitting a, a little bit too low in the armpit, you haven't pulled it all the way up. Yeah. Then yeah. you're just going to feel all like, ah, where are my shoulders? Where, I, can't, I can't connect with the water. I can't rotate. I can't. Right. It feels like you're yeah. being pulled. Like you're like yeah. someone's literally like, like holding your, your shoulders back. Um, and I'm always surprised that wetsuit companies don't make a bigger deal about that. Um, but you know, maybe part of, part of it is just like, look, you put on a wetsuit poorly when you have a cheap one, you don't know what you're doing. So Mm. you want to buy a more expensive one. Yeah. You know, an easy way around, 
Yeah, yeah. I think an easy way around that top pro tip alert, I think, mm-hmm. is to get in the water. Let some water in. To, when when you once you've got the suit on, mm-hmm. a new like, suit. Get, assuming that you've got the the right size suit, this is obviously right. um, get get in the water. Let some water inside of it. You know, pull pull the neck open. Get some water inside of it, and then like kind of seal it under your arms and um, like push all that water through so that you kind of almost got like a second skin, like a little bit of water between your skin where your suit, your your race suit and your wetsuit. Right. And then you get that fit and then you get it like really sealing in your, under your arms and around your shoulders. Yeah. I think that's what something I always used to do. And I think that that helps with that kind of fit, fitted yeah. feeling. Like, so it feels like it moves like a second skin. Yeah. Um, Man, that's a I'm, huge, huge pro tip. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I never even heard that. That's awesome. That's a good one. Yeah, and I'm sitting. What's funny is obviously this is all audio. You can't see what I'm doing, but I'm sitting here like tucking my sweater up into my armpit. So that, uh, anyway, it's so, very yeah. graceful. It, don't worry. <laughs> it's not sweaty Elegant. at all. Yeah, <laughs> elegant maneuver. But, um, but I think that's a really good way, regardless of the wetsuit. Uh, yeah, like I said, like obviously it's important that you've got the right wetsuit in the first place. But yeah. that's a that's a good way to make sure that you've got it on right yeah. and it's fitting. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, like, I love that. I love getting the water in there. I think that's such a good, I'm going to try that next time. I'm, yeah. I'm honestly, it definitely helps. Yeah. And then you don't get that weird. Also, as you're, as you're starting out swimming, you don't get that weird, um, like, you know, you sometimes get water coming in. Yeah. And you don't get that because everything's sealed to you already. So that's awesome. Um, that's a yeah. tip. I love that. Yeah. Like I've always done the thing where like, I'm a big fan of just like grabbing as much material as I can from mm-hmm. the ankles and just yeah. like, migrating everything up. Like mm-hmm. I want like as much material up in my shoulders yeah. and neck, like yeah. forward as I can. Yeah. Um, because you'll see a lot of times people like, you know, they'll pull their sleeves up high enough because that's easy yeah. enough to do, but then their chest is pulling down. And that's yeah. like one of those things that's kind of hard to think about. Yeah. I think with your tip, it would be, I would probably fix it. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I've always had, to, cause I have kind of bigger hips and thighs and stuff. So I'm always grabbing neoprene over my hips, over my thighs, and then just kind of, you know, pulling it up and, and if yeah. you could see what I'm doing, it looks like I'm trying to be like a monkey, like pulling my hands <laughs> up. So a lot of good visuals everyone's missing out on on this. Yeah, podcast, the limitations of podcasting, huh? Yeah, well, you're welcome for not having to see that, <laughs> the listeners. <laughs> um, so, um, but other, yeah. in, in terms of other downsides, other disadvantages, obviously there's chafing too, which yep. if you haven't got the, if you haven't got the wetsuit, or, or even if you've got the wetsuit on right, if you, yep. even if you've got it on correctly, I think... Chafing can still happen. Chafing happens. Epic chafing. I mean, especially if you're doing long course, especially Mm -hmm. if you're in the uh, salt water. Um, It's just, it it will just ravage you. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I always say like almost before you buy a wetsuit, you should already have an anti-chafe bomb like, you know, like body glide. Body glide is like the the Xerox or the rollerblade of anti-chafe. You just say, yeah, Yeah. I need to get body glide. Yeah. Um, you, You put that up on your neck. 100% 100% on the skin yeah. of your neck. I put yeah. mine, I put it in the like the armpits. Um, I like to roll it on the wetsuit itself too. Mm, okay. Um, especially around the neck. Like I'll actually coat the neck with the body glide because it kind of gives you like a double layer of protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's huge. Like, I mean, yeah. that's, that's a must do. You, you don't, you don't use body glide. You're basically like, I can tell you what's going to happen. You're going to finish yeah. your race. You're going to go back oh. to your hotel oh. or your house. You're going to hop in the shower, you're tired, and it's going to be like your body is on fire. It's like someone's oh. stabbing you with pokers. It is. Yeah. 
that's one of there's many things i miss about racing and there's many things that i don't and the post-race shower when you discover how much chafing uh, you've got when you first turn on the water and you get under the shower and you're like <gasps> it's so savage it just hurts so badly um and, and i think chafing happens even if you do put body glide on i think those first yeah. few open water swims of the season you still get that chafing around the back of your neck because your yeah. skin just isn't used to it yeah like, uh, you got to build like a shell almost <laughs> it's kind of a gross <laughs> a gross image but like it's like a, a little turtle shell on your neck yeah yeah um, we all so. need to be a little bit turtly yeah <laughs> yeah um but there's other things too i mean that yeah. are less less dramatic um and yeah. one thing people kind of forget about is you know you can't overheat yeah um, and this is where you kind of need to know yourself yeah. i run pretty hot um just generally like if it's if it's right on the edge like 76 78 degrees like i could conceivably overheat in a wetsuit yeah me know. too for yeah. sure and it you know you got to take into the uh take into account the air temperature yeah um you know obviously we'll talk about practicing later but all of this is like you know be realistic about how your body works because it yeah. doesn't matter if you're saving you know, a minute on your swim because you have a wetsuit on, but you are completely dehydrated, possibly, yeah. you know, getting close to heat stroke or something like that. Yeah. And you still have hours of racing ahead of you. Like that's yeah. just, that's nothing, you know, you've saved no time. So, yeah. um, definitely, you know, there's some downsides to a wetsuit, more just things to think about, um, with yeah. different race conditions and, you know, price points and stuff like that. For sure. Yeah. So when it comes to wetsuits, then what are, and you've, you've already told us that you've tested millions, millions, so, millions, <laughs> millions. Um, what have been some of your favorites so far so, of, of your so, uh, testing? Yeah. So since we're talking to probably a few beginners um, or listening, you know, our reviewers um, have always gone back to Synergy, this, hmm. you know, wetsuit brand. It's not you know, it, it's not a big name like, you know, Hube or Roca or 2XU or, um, you know, Xterra or anything like that. But uh, Synergy has these like really inexpensive wetsuits. Um, they sell them on Amazon so you can get, you know, free shipping and you can get yeah. them fast, which we all love. Um, we found like the sweet spot with Synergy's line and Synergy has nothing to do with this program, by the way. I know it sounds like it, but they're not a sponsor or anything. Um is no, we're the, sponsored by Body Glide. Yeah, sponsored by Body Glide. That I would, I would take that sponsorship. Um, but like the the Synergy Endorphin, that's always been mm -hmm. one of our reviewers' favorites. Yeah. I think it's one like editor's choice. You yeah. can, you know, it comes. You, you can find it on their website for three hundred. Amazon always has little sales and stuff. You can get them around like two eighty, two sixty, mm -hmm. depending on the time of the season. Um, in terms of fit, it's great. Good uh, level of minimal level of shoulder restriction and my favorite thing about it especially for beginner wet uh triathletes is they have a ton of sizes um, oh that's a big deal yeah so like you can you, really find the right size for you yeah absolutely yeah. especially if you're newer you know you're you might not have the the triathlete body you want yet um <laughs> but uh but it's all about vanity exactly that's right that's why we all race yeah what, what else are we doing um but they, you know, they have like nine sizes for the men's suits, seven yep. for women. Uh, most yeah. companies will have more like five or six mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Um, so that that's really good. Um, but you know, if you're like, this is my first race, I don't know if I want to stick with triathlon. I don't yeah. even know if I'm gonna like the wetsuit. Um, Synergy makes one, the Volution. Um, that one you can find for like 180, sometimes even less. Um, wow, that's a good price point for a wetsuit, right? And and it's yeah. it's fine. Like it's a fine wetsuit. Like yeah. yeah, you might have a little shoulder restriction. Um, 
you know, you might get a little chafing here and there, but you know, it's, it's your first one. Like just, yeah. just make sure it's something, you know, you feel comfortable with something you like. And then, and then you'll say, Hey, look, you know, I really want more shoulder movement. I want to upgrade. And then you, know, you can go from there. Yeah. So, I mean, like, as we just said, like there's a wetsuit there for 180 bucks and, but there are some on the market that are like, geez, I want to say nearly 10 times that. Oh, you know? absolutely. Yeah. There's like, ones over a thousand. It's crazy. Yeah. And so I, I can never really, you know, even with all my years of swimming experience, I can never, I've never been able to say like, oh, that's definitely a $1,200 wetsuit. That's <laughs> definitely a $1,500 wetsuit. So, but, um, you are the gear guru. Why tell us in your opinion, why some wetsuits you think are more expensive than others? Hype. I mean, obviously there's a, a, a large amount of material that comes into that and all the, and, and everything else, but you know, especially yeah. for beginners or people who are relatively new to the sport, like it's, it's kind of hard to figure out what you're actually getting for your cash. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like I kind of interjected hype has a little bit to do with it. Um, right. uh, you know, marketing and stuff like that. But, but there is, I mean, I think, I think to a certain extent, like I think once you get above like $800, things just kind of start to get, you know, like minimal gains. Um, maybe none at all. Um, you are looking at like, you know, especially when you get out of the 300 and into the 500 range, mm -hmm. you're going to start to find a higher grade neoprene. Um, mm -hmm. it's going to be lighter in weight, you know, yep. it's going to, um, retain less water. It's going to mm -hmm. be way more flexible that, and that's the thing that like people you can feel like you try yep. on a $200 wetsuit and you're like, eh, yep. okay, it's fine. It's a wetsuit. You try on yep. a $500 wetsuit. You're like, Oh, my arms feel like, you know, I can move and I can swing yep. them around. Um, so that's like the big, like, you know, selling point, you yep. know, like in the shop, that's where you're going to feel it. Um, but a lot of the wetsuits too, they'll have They'll have cool things like, you know, hydrophobic coating or, or some kind of unique way of, uh, you know, bigger air cells impregnated mm -hmm. into the neoprene. Um, some of them will actually hold your body in a different way. Um, mm -hmm. Roca has a really cool system um, with their Maverick X that it kind of like, it has this almost like KT tape across the chest. Um, oh, cool. It's meant to allow you to, I think it's, I think you can move like in a twisting way so that you're not restricted that way, but it prevents you from folding, you know, and kind of like getting that bad downhill or uh, uphill swimming posture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's supposed to like kind of transfer, I don't know, it does a lot of things, but, um, but that's definitely a big like price increase. You know, when you start getting yeah. these, these panels of expensive neoprene, you get these weird structures built into the wetsuit. Um, you know, the more panels you put on anything, you know, it's the same with clothing. Um, yeah. it costs more, it, it's just yep. more work to stitch them, to tape them, to seam them. Um, yep. but it's going to map to your bet, your body better. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's going to fit better. It's like, why do I get, you know, a suit off the rack, you know, like a, a dress right. suit off the rack or why do I get a custom one? Well, a custom one's going to fit your specific body better. Yeah. Um, you know, it'll, so it'll feel more comfortable in the water. You won't feel as restricted. You won't feel like you're choking or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Um, so th those are kind of the big things. Yeah. And do the, do you tend to find that the more expensive ones last longer or is that not necessarily the case? Oh my gosh. It's actually the opposite. Um, this is yeah. like a little known, you know, that wetsuit companies don't like to talk about this, but higher end wetsuits are so fragile. They're they like, are delicate little things, aren't oh they? Gosh. They're delicate little flowers. Yeah. They, <laughs> they really are. And like some of them send, I mean, they literally will send you cotton white cotton gloves yeah that you're supposed to use when you put it on 
And yeah, I think there was a really expensive tear wetsuit that I once tested yeah. that came in a fancy briefcase with yes. white gloves. And I was like, wow. Like the so like hurricane a, or? Yeah. I can't remember. Like somebody's yeah. bottler, you know, putting on the white gloves yeah. to put on. It's all very yeah. fancy. Very it's proper. very fancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're, so they're super delicate. And, that, and that's in part because of, you know, like I said, that flexible neoprene everything comes yeah. at a price like flexible yeah. neoprene is delicate yeah. like and it's you, thinner and it's yeah absolutely like it you know your fingernails will tear it almost yeah. guaranteed and yeah you know I've, I've just posted something recently about how to put on a wetsuit so there is a you know a, a way to put it on where you won't tear it you'll be less yeah. likely um yeah you know we won't go through that on the podcast but um but yeah you have to be careful and even if you don't tear it um you're still you know it's going to degrade faster then yeah. a low-end wetsuit is just going to wear out quicker. Um, so, you know, you're spending $800 in a wetsuit that might get you through two, three, maybe four seasons. Yeah, but... you've got to look after that thing pretty damn well, too, yeah. if you want it to last three or four seasons, I think. Right, yeah. yeah. Really, two is kind of like, that's probably most likely. I mean, yeah. you know, I remember, I remember once tossing my bike in the back of the car and then my wetsuit thinking it was far, you know, far enough apart. And then the wet, the wetsuit in, in, uh, trans in transit, the wetsuit getting caught on the chain ring at one of the chain rings uh, on my bike. And then that's it. Like that's game over. Fun. That's RIP. Yeah. That wetsuit. yeah. And you but can yeah, repair you them sometimes, be... but not, not like certain spots. You can't certain kinds. Yeah. You can't, um, yeah. and you gotta be realistic. Like, you know, what are you doing with this wetsuit? Well, I'm going to run out of the water in a race. I'm going to tear the thing off as fast as I can because I'm freaking out because I want to get on the bike. I'm going to throw it on the ground. Other people are going to be stomping around. You know, you yeah. just, you got to be realistic about yeah. how you're going to treat that wetsuit. Um, yeah. So yeah, you got to be careful about that. Yeah. Okay. So let's pretend then that money is no object. Mm. Uh, you've got all, you've got wheelbarrows full of cash <laughs> I like just this. stacked up in your garden with yes. your chickens. Nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah. We should talk about your chickens one episode. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we can work the gear guru and you know, the chickens of the gear guru into the show somehow. Yeah, the chickens don't um, like wetsuits, but that's fine. They don't, huh? Okay. <laughs> but um, anyway, great little tangent there. But if money was no object for you, Chris, what would be? What's your favorite wetsuit right now? If you could get any anyone, which you pretty much can actually, but you know, yeah, truly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Welcome to my world. Um, <laughs> so I have tried some of these crazy. Uh, over a thousand dollar wetsuits yeah and they were fine um yeah. i was actually a little bit scared to use them so mm. you know just because they're so fragile and yeah you know I, I did have one tear on me um after only a couple of swims so so that said uh my favorite right now um it's pretty expensive it's the zoot wiki wiki 2.0 hmm. um i think it's it's like 800 bucks um but of all the ones i've tested so far including the, you know, over thousand dollar ones. It's the most mm -hmm. flexible. Um, mm. it's got super thin neoprene. I think we're starting to see this in some of the wetsuits now, this like ultra thin neoprene panel in just mm -hmm. the shoulder. Um, okay. I mean, it, it literally feels like wearing like a speed suit. That's probably the best. Oh, way cool. Yeah. Okay. And then for listeners who don't know, a speed suit is just basically like a fabric suit with some kind of hydrophobic coating on the outside that you can use in yeah, um, not neoprene. Right. Right. In non wetsuit yeah. legal races like yeah. Kona for instance. Yeah. When the water is warmer than 76, 78. Yeah. Um, right. so the, the shoulders on that are awesome. The downside is oh, the shoulders and the arms. Um, it's a little chilly, you know, mm. I mean, there's always a trade off. Um, but it has a lot of buoyancy through the hips and legs. Cause some of those super lightweight ones, like I'm thinking some of the Orca ones, for instance, mm -hmm. um, they're just thin all around. And for me, we didn't, you know, I'm not a crazy good swimmer. 
um, you know, my hips sink and stuff. So I still need kind of some buoyancy. Yeah. Um, but that said, like, you know, if you're thinking of something more reasonable, um, we've had reviewers who go crazy over like the $600 Orca 3.8. Um, that version of the Orca has like intentional extra buoyancy, uh, buoyancy, buoyancy, buoyancy in the hips and legs. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, again, targeting like that um, non-swimmer, you know, body or, or experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you really want to go like full buoyant, like just take buoyancy to 11. Um, I've tried the, the Roka Maverick MX. Um, and that MX is like, it's like their Maverick, their regular Maverick, I think comp or something. Um, but it yeah. has like fat buoyancy. Like it's still legal. I mean, cause it, uh-huh. you can't go too buoyant. Um, there are rules. Yeah, there are some rules. Yeah. Um, but it's by far the floatiest. Like I, I'll just like sit there in the water and just like, whoop, like I'm in the, you know, the dead sea or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that one's 500. I can't remember if I said, but, um, so, you know, that's, that's a, a mid range wetsuit, yeah. a little high, but, um, but that's by far the floatiest in the game. And that'll keep you warmer too. If you're somewhere where you're swimming in sub 60 degree, uh, water, so, yeah. you know, you might want something a little thicker. That Maverick MX is good for that. Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Good tips there. Okay. So wetsuits aside, mm-hmm. what other pieces of kit and equipment should we be thinking about when it comes to open water swimming? Um, so, you know, something people kind of forget about and not that you forget to bring your goggles, but, um, that they're like, at least in my opinion, and, um, you know, I've, I've had some people back me up on this is like a good pair of open water specific goggles. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people wear their pool goggles in the open water. Um, yep. but for me, like I'm not Michael Phelps, I'm not doing, you know, 200 free in the pool. I want a bigger pair of goggles you know, with the widest field of vision. Um, so I can see, you know, not only just things as I'm swimming, cause I'm out in the ocean a lot by myself. Um, you know, you want to see like, is that seaweed or is that something I need to freak out yeah. about? Um, yeah. or more importantly, when you're racing, I know you and Megan talked about, um, you know, getting on someone's hip or getting on their right. feet, you know, mm-hmm. you need to be able to see that body out of the corner of your eye without yeah. turning your head and maybe screwing up your stroke. Um, right. so I like a big wide field of vision. Um, yeah. I like, uh, Roka X one. That's a great goggle for that. They're not even yeah. that expensive. When I checked the prices this morning, I'm like, Oh, these are going to be like $40. I like started like 22 or something. Yeah. Um, I like that for size. I like it for clarity. They make a really clear goggle. Um, and then my other big like requirement for an open water swim goggle is they need to make it in multiple tints. Mm-hmm. Um, because I want three pairs of Roka X ones one with a dark tint, one with no yeah. tint, and then one with like a highlighting tint, like either an yeah. amber or, or blue. Yeah. Um, and they all need to be the same. You know, I need to know they're going to fit my face. Um, I'm going to want to try them all out, you know, in the pool. You, you should swim with them always, you know, pool, open water, whatever. Um, but this way you have multiple pairs. So yes. when you get to race morning, it's like even, I mean, you've done this, MK. It's like your hotel is five miles away and you're like, oh, yeah. it's bright and sunny out. Like I'm grabbing my dark pair so i'm not blind when i'm looking into a buoy because you know that's a problem um you get to the you know it's an ocean swim you get to the the waterfront and it's socked in with fog and you're like great now i've got these dark goggles i'm basically blind and you know so so that that's my big thing like they have to have a range of tints yeah um lots of you know wide range of uh of vision um yeah i mean yeah i think with ocean swimming especially 
like the conditions can change so quickly yeah. and you can, you can leave your hotel in the morning and, or you can have done the practice swim the day before and yeah. have used one, one set of goggles and then realize like 20 minutes before the race is due to start race morning that you actually need an entirely different uh, pair of goggles, you know? So I have definitely, yeah, I've yeah. always had. And it's such a pairs. bad feeling to, you know, you get to the race site and you're like, oh man, I'm going to have to struggle through with these, you know, these dark goggles or these clear goggles and it's blinding yeah. sun and the sun is, yeah, the sun is always behind like one of the buoys. Like it's guaranteed oh, you to guarantee be guarantee it. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. always <laughs> lined up. It's probably some kind of like natural phenomenon or maybe it's just like a really basic thing that I'm not thinking through, but like it's always going to be behind it and the sun's going to bounce off the water and it's going to, you know, you're not going to see anything. And like, yeah. you know, we talk about spending money to save time, you know, to get faster. But like, if you can't see the buoy and you're sighting every three, you know, yeah. as opposed to every six or every eight, mm -hmm. because you can't see like you're burning minutes. Yeah. Like they're just, they're gone or, or you get off track. I mean, that's minutes gone. Just, you know. Yeah, because you know, like when Megan was talking about, you know, scoping out the course the day yeah. before or two days before, whatever you can, you know, looking for landmarks. But if you don't have the right pair of goggles on, you're swimming into the sun without, mm -hmm. you know, tinted goggles on, whatever. Then you're not going to be able to see. Doesn't matter how much homework you've done, right. like you're not going to be able to see a whole lot. So. Right, or how fast you are, anything, all that goes right. out the window. And it's, you know, what I said, twenty-two, you know, dollar pair of goggles, or get, you know, get a couple extra because you know you'll burn through them, you'll scratch them, you'll, you know, you'll do something to them. Yeah. Um, you know, no, very few triathletes go through only one pair of goggles, even in a, you know, a season or two. Yeah. Um, so just have them. Um, I know some triathletes like, you know, the X1 is big. Um, some triathletes like the really maximal goggle. Um, mm -hmm. The probably the most popular version of that is the Aquasphere Seal um, or Vista. You do see a lot of those, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're like almost like a mask, almost like a mm -hmm. scuba mask. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people people are like, why do you wear that? Well, obviously the the field of vision is bigger. Yeah. Um, you're going to get zero leaks, yeah. like no chance of leaks. And then a lot of people, and this is real, like, you know, anyone who's listening to this who's never done a triathlon, like you probably will get hit in the face. Like, yes. it, yeah. you know, hopefully it's just a hand. Hopefully it's not the heel of a foot. Hopefully yeah. it's not an elbow, you know, um, but it's going to happen. And yeah. if you have those big fat, you know, like Aquasphere Seal or Vista, you know, or whatever, Barracuda makes some really big fat soft ones. Um, it's not gonna be a big deal. You know, I yeah. mean, it's not going to knock you out or anything, but, but you won't be like as jarred. You won't be seeing stars. You won't be like completely thrown off. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are cool. And then yeah. my last one, since you asked, um, <laughs> my last one that I've liked is, um, you know, the magic five has this new custom, well, not brand new, but you know, a few years ago, custom goggles. Yes. Um, and now, you know, Jan Frodeno is sponsored by them. So he's into them. And I, I'll tell this to triathletes listening who have never tried them. The custom fit thing is real. It's really cool. Um, they do fit your face really well. Um, the idea is that you can use less pressure on the strap. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can run it looser, so you're less likely to get a headache, you know, especially if you have a long session. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, they're like really minimal on their field of vision. Um, yes, they do fit very, like they're very low profile. Yeah. They feel to me like uh, pool racing, you know, like, yeah, like a Swedish or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, I was surprised when I heard that Jan Fernando is going to be sponsored by them. And I'm like, oh, nice. Now they're going to make a, you know, a big X1 version, you know, like the Roka one or something with a wild or wide, uh, you know, range of vision. But, you know, they haven't. So, so I tell people, you know, it's a cool goggle. It works fine for the open water. Um, but for the pool, whereas, you know, you're probably going to be doing most of your swimming, um, that's where it shines. 
Yeah. Better. Yeah, I would say I would agree with you there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a great looking goggle. I love the yeah. aesthetic of it and yeah. I love the fit of it. And I love uh, in the pool, it's great. Mm-hmm. In the ocean or open water, then yeah, it's not yeah. as, it doesn't tick all the boxes the same way. Um, yeah. So, like the X1, the Roker X1 would, or um, there's another tier, I forget the name now, but there's a tier, a pair from tier that are very similar to the Roker X1. Yeah. Similar price. That. And um, yeah. Yeah, I had the good fortune of testing, I can't remember how many pairs of goggles it was for our buyer's guide. Yes. And it was on a particularly snowy morning. Well, one of the sets of tests that I did was on a really snowy morning in Bo- here in Boulder. And I think a bunch of the pairs of goggles just froze to the pool deck as I was switching them in and out. So, um, One, one yeah. star froze to the deck. <laughs> Terrible goggles. <laughs> froze immediately. <laughs> one star. <laughs> well, well, yes. so, so of all the goggles you've tested, since you might be the millions you know, the millions mm-hmm. that you've tested, what was it? What do you, what do you like? What do you wear? Oh, I am such a stickler for what I know. I have been swimming since <laughs> I was about 10 or 11 and I'm now gulp 41. Um, and I still wear, I fell in love with speedo goggles when I was a little girl and I've always been, wearing, I've pretty much always barring apart from a few sponsorship deals here and there. Mm-hmm. I've pretty much always been very loyal to speedo and the speed That's socket funny. or the vanquisher. Uh, which definitely definitely have more of a pool feel yeah but uh, so what you were talking about in terms of like field of vision in open when you're swimming in open water um like they are not as you know the field of vision is definitely not as wide right but it's something that i've just gotten used to when i swim yeah. in open water and yeah. you know i face, can right? i can it fit my it fit my face i know That's that huge. they i know that they seal well around my eye sockets the pro, uh-huh. I, I like the profile of them mm. um I, you know, in open water, I breathe to both sides. So mm-hmm. like, I, I don't feel like my, uh, field of vision is restricted too much. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am pretty much, um, a speed, speedo speed socket or a vanquisher, the vanquisher 2.0. Um, and, and you can do those in, uh, and they, they're available in like the mirrored version and the um, clear, clear and all the rest of it. So, um, huge. yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, probably my, totally good option. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then anyways, but Anything else that we should be talking about aside from goggles and wetsuits? Obviously, they're the two. They're probably the two biggies. Yeah. But uh, anything else that's specific to open water that people should be thinking about? Um, I mean, so, I'm thinking. You know, it's obviously one of the things Megan touched on a lot was uh, swim safety. Yeah. So that's huge. I mean, if you're if you're not in the open water that much, at well, a my my big thing, and I don't want to like discount anything that anyone else says, but like I think triathletes should be in the open water probably four times as much as they are. And I know that's right. not possible for everyone, but, yep. um, but like my final year of, uh, pro racing, I think I did 90% of my swims in the open water and wow. I was faster than ever. And it had nothing to like, I'd hop in the pool and my pool times were as good, if not worse than they used to be like in years mm-hmm. previous. Um, mm-hmm. but I was, you know, I was front pack. I was, you know, like wh- wherever I needed to be in the water. So anyway, long story short, Get in the open water, folks. But, mm-hmm. you know, bring a buddy. I'm sure Megan yeah. talked about that. Um, yeah. Even if you have a buddy or if you don't for whatever reason, um, I love these uh, personal safety buoys or, or some people call them a tow float. Yeah. Um, not tow, T-O-E, T-O-W, like, <laughs> like a tow truck, not like the yeah. tow on your foot. <laughs> um, you strap these things around your waist. Um and they, they have a little string that comes off your waist or cord yeah. or something. And then, you know, ideally a big orange. Or I've seen some neon green ones too. Yeah. Um, like a buoy, like the size of, I don't know, like a backpack. 
maybe, mm-hmm. or a small backpack. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it floats behind you. And it doesn't interrupt your stroke. It doesn't get in the way of your kick if it's set up right. Um, and, and this is kind of kind of provide like a visual cue, um, especially to boaters. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. If you're swimming somewhere where there are boaters, like you, you yeah. must have this. Like this yeah. is not, you know, an optional thing. Yeah. Um, but even then, you know, even if there are no boats and you're in the ocean and there are lifeguards around, it's like, okay, that lifeguard can keep, a, a you know, an eye on you better um, yeah. rather than just your little, you know, flashing, you know, splashing hands as you slowly swim away from him yeah. um, or her. And so, yeah, I mean, and it gives you a little bit of flotation safety. You know, if something goes wrong, you get a cramp or, you know, God forbid something worse happens, you can hold on to it. But, you know, they don't really bill it as like a, you know, a safe, like a flotation safety device. Yeah. Like it's, it's not going to save your life, but right, yeah, right. it's not, it's not a, um, you know, a ring or, um, you know, those, those big buoys that, uh, lifeguards carry. Um, yeah. but you know, for me, like I like zone three has like a range of these, um, tow floats. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they start at like 30 bucks. You inflate, you know, you blow into them. Um, yeah. so you can keep them in your car, you know, your bag or whatever and deflate yeah. them. Um, they have some cool ones. Like there's one with backpack straps, so you could carry it down to the water easier. Um, yeah. If you're doing swim runs, you know, you could you could use it with that and carry it on your back. Um, some of them have dry pockets for valuables. I mean, I've I've thrown my phone in one of them. Yeah, when I've gone keys, out. phone, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just so you have it, you know, like if you don't feel like it's a safe enough area to leave your stuff out. Yeah. Um, and then they even have one that's super cool. I, I think it's cool. I don't know. Some people think it's excessive. They have one with a built-in like hydration, like a little hydration Whoa. bladder, right? Like. I mean, you have to be swimming pretty long, but, but at the same time, it's like, you know, if you're swimming for an hour in the open water and you're not doing, you know, ins and outs or something like that, yeah. you know, you'd be drinking on the pool deck. Yeah. If you, were, you know, you should be. Um, yeah. So it's not like the, the dumbest idea. But it's, it's yeah, like, that's kind of cool. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you're out there for long enough, you, you need to yeah. be hydrated um, and it still floats. It, it, I don't know how it works, but it, it does. I haven't used that one. Um, huh. But like that, cool. I, I feel like that should just start you know, as people are starting to do things more on their own, you know, like the group setting thing is, be, you know, in the last year is obviously yeah. been not, yeah. you know, for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. get these tow floats. They're not expensive. I, I'm seeing them yeah. more and more where I live, yeah. like Long yeah. Beach and um, yeah. South Bay of Los Angeles. Um, I think they're just becoming more standard and they're great. You know, yeah. I, I think everyone should have one. Yeah. Okay. Well, Chris, before we wrap up, any other gear guru insights, tips, madness, craziness, Yes. information yes. that we we uh we really need to know before we so, before we say farewell to you so all the things we've talked about um mm-hmm. i guess with the exception of the toe float um you need to practice with these things yeah like you know it's just like megan was saying earlier you know i, I think the same rule applies you need to have swam in a wetsuit 10 times mm-hmm. at least before race day yeah. Yeah. um and, and this is actually super important because wetsuits uh, i forgot to touch on this earlier but like you know, when you get a new wetsuit, um, the, the, I think it's the cells in the neoprene are, are very like tightly packed, um, mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know the physics behind it, but everyone, every good try shop will tell you, you need to soak a new wetsuit for at least an hour, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in a tub or whether it's you swimming in it for an hour or whatever, and it'll actually loosen up like, yeah. like a little bit. Yeah. Um, like it's not going to change the size, but, um, but so that's even, you know, more of a reason, like like you should never swim in a new wetsuit, you know, for the first time on race day that for so many reasons, no. but if nothing yeah. else, because it hasn't soaked yet and it'll feel yeah. terrible. Like you'll feel yeah. like you're choking. It'll feel too tight around the neck. It'll be yeah. pulling on your arms, yeah. all that stuff. Um, but, there, but more than that, like, you know, 
your stroke changes. You build strength yeah. with a wetsuit. Yeah. And even if uh, even if it's just jumping in the pool in it, yep. in it, you know, if you don't have access to open yes. water, just jumping in the pool with it yeah. will help you so much. And obviously, it's not exactly the same, mm-hmm. but it it really helps give you a feel of how your body's going to feel in the water. Yeah. And I think that also helps you get a feel for your internal, t- your, your temperature in, in the wetsuit. Yes. You know, when we're talking about overheating, you're like, do you run hot? Do you run, you know, where's yeah. your limit? Um, yeah. So that all, it's all good information to kind yeah. of start building and knowing about yourself and your body and your, and your kit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, get in the pool, uh, you know, those 10 times can all be in the pool. It doesn't matter if you don't have yeah. access to open water that, that will, that getting in the pool 10 times with your wetsuit will bring you more like comfort and speed than spending yeah. another $300 on a newer wetsuit. For like, sure. There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just just like that, same thing, like we talked about real quickly, is getting off that wetsuit. Yeah. That needs to be done at least 10 times. Like you, yeah. need, you need to practice that. That's other time that's just you're going to burn for no yeah. reason except just because, you know, you would yeah. be lazy to practice with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those, those are kind of the big things. Obviously, you know, it goes without saying, never use new goggles on the, you know, on, on race day. So you should practice yeah. with those, but yeah. people don't do that quite as often. It's, it's the wetsuits that, you know, we see the most of, but yeah, those are my yeah. big tips. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think we've all learned something. Thank you. Thank so, you for yeah. having me. You betcha. See you next month. Thanks, Chris. All right. See you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay. And that's a wrap for our open water swimming special. Thank you for joining us on this month's Fitter and Faster. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Fitter and Faster by Triathlete wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate and review us. It helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. We'll be back next month, but until then, happy training.